You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Um, like a little bit of interaction, I'd like everybody involved, just why we kick off and why we start. I'm going to ask a question, and you've just got to shout out the answer. Don't feel embarrassed about whoever sat next to you. Just shout to me as loudly as you can. My question is this, who am I? <sighs> They're a little bit slow off the mark, but we should try. Okay then, who am I? Who am I? Oh, very good. Yes, we're getting into this a little bit more. Okay, who am I? <laughs> He's still alive. Yeah. Okay, and finally, who am I? Ah, Joey Triviani. What is all this to do with the I generation? Why on earth am I putting masks on on a Sunday morning? Where, is it? Where am I going on this? Well, I, I want to say this. I'm none of those. I'm Pete Cornford. I was wearing a mask. You didn't really fall for that, did you? I mean, you could see it was me underneath. You could see I just put a bit of paper over my face. I think part of the challenge of the I generation is that our masks have just got a bit more complicated. So no longer do we go around and we just think, oh, I'll stick this on, and everyone thinks, oh, I'm Joey Triviani. But actually, I think because we do less face-to-face contact, it's easier to wear a mask. So I think what we can do is we can have a Facebook page where we can make ourselves look slimmer than we really are, or put a photo on there that's five years old that makes us look younger than we really are. You know what I'm saying? We can suddenly have all these ways where we've lost weight, we're a little bit cleverer than we really are, maybe a couple of inches taller than we really are. I think the challenge has become that this mask... The masquerade ball started in the 15th century. Yeah, maybe some would say the, the forerunner of the fancy dress party, if you're into all that kind of stuff now. Actually, that's been done away with. And what we now have is we have this whole technology where we can pretend to be something we're not. So if any of you saw the film Avatar, you will realize that that was based upon this guy that was a soldier that got injured that was wheelchair-bound, but actually he could climb onto this machine and suddenly be transferred into this land where he was seven foot tall. He was a blue giant that could fly. And in some respect, there was this whole sort of other world where he could pretend to be something and try and forget his own actual physical limitations. I think some of the challenges of the I generation that we're talking about is that we can get caught up in this whole thing of making a mask. Making somewhere that we hide. When I used to post a letter, yeah, it went from me to you. We never talked about this sort of gap in between. But now we talk about this whole thing called the internet and sort of cyberspace. And and, and it's almost like we can live in this sort of, this place. Tim Chalice wrote the book, Um, the next story, he said this, in the cyber world, I can be popular. I can be powerful. I can be somebody. And yet I do it all at the expense of who I really am. So he was saying, well, actually, you can pretend to be all of this, but really it's a denial of who you are. You see, in the past, we connected with people geographically. You tended to work locally. People would know you. You would socialize with people locally. Whereas now we can socialize on the net and we could be socializing with anyone around the world because we've all got those kind of similar interests. 
But it means that suddenly we can wear a mask so much of the time. This morning, I'm going to be talking about identity. How do we really know who we are and what our identity is? John Calvin, who was a a great reformist uh, hundreds of years ago, said this, Our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. I honestly feel, and I'm going to keep going back to these because I feel it's a prophetic picture, really, as I was preparing. Some of us, we, we don't actually know anymore who we are. We've worn the mask so long, we're not even sure who the real us is. And I feel that this morning what God wants to do is he wants to help some of us take these masks off and discover what our real identity is. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, said this, Grant, Lord, that I might know myself, that I might know thee. John Ortberg, he's an American pastor, he's written many books. He says this, every one of us pretends to be healthier and kinder than we really are. We all engage in what might be called depravity management. You know what I'm saying? There's this challenge of, are we really going to be who we are out there publicly? I trained to be a primary school teacher, and for my dissertation in my fourth year, I had to do a study. I, 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 PE was the subject, PE and science that I specialized in. So I did this study on What is the value of competition in the primary curriculum? I worked for an inner London uh, university at the time I went to, and so the idea was you're not supposed to have sports days. Don't make kids compete with one another. So I did a study on this. What I discovered is that you cannot have two children in the same room doing the same activity without it becoming competitive. Because suddenly, if you you ask this kid, how many times do you think you could keep that ball up on that bat? You know, trying to get them to do a skill. You know, they want to... Oh, how many times have they done? Now, the reality is that as adults, we're probably the same. If we're really honest, we end up comparing ourselves. There's three people that you compare with. Those that are slightly better than you. Some would say slightly higher up. We can look at people ahead of us and think, oh, it's not fair. How can they afford that? How come, you know, it just seems that their house, they've got an extra bedroom. Or, you know what I'm saying, they've got two cars. We compare with people ahead of ourselves. Or we compare with people that are similar to us. Maybe sideways. It's almost like, come on, it's neck and neck. Or we compare ourselves with those that maybe aren't doing quite as well as us. We can be looking down. So we can look up, we can look sideways, we can look down. There's danger in all of this. If we look up, we envy If we look sideways, we become competitive. If we look down, we become arrogant. Why are we always so interested in looking out and comparing with others and not really showing the true self? I know one way to empty the church. I could ask you all to bring your passports next week and we'd like to look at your passport photo. Let's be really frank, most people, they hate their passport photo, don't they? You think, oh, I've had it for a few years or something. No, golly, do I really? Oh, no. You know, I, I just don't want anyone to see my passport photo. We, we almost like to try and hide our identity like we try and hide our passport photo. We don't want people necessarily to see the real us. Inside, our self-image is, is the picture of who we consider ourselves to be. 
How do you know if you've got a good identity, a good self-image, or a bad one? Well, I would say those that have a poor self-image tend to be pessimistic on their outlook of life. They tend to lack confidence. They're extremely sensitive to the opinions of others. They're self-conscious about their appearance, their performance, or their status. They tend to view other people as competition to beat rather than friends to enjoy. They're always striving to become something or somebody. They fear God, a belief that he doesn't understand them, that he's angry with them. Now, I want to say that, golly, this is not just observations about society. I think there's loads about this in the Bible. If you've got a Bible, I'd love you to turn to Luke 4. There you go, Mother's Day. What's the passage that Pete's going to pick on? The temptation of Jesus. Luke 4, the temptation of Jesus. The, the words will be coming up here. I'm going to be reading from the NIV translation. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. <laughs> I mean, it's wonderful scripture, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think if I had not eaten for 40 days, I would be hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God. Straight away, isn't it? It's like questioning his identity. If you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him at an opportune time. I would say that the challenge of the devil coming to Jesus was again questioning who his identity was. I think there were three tests, three temptations here that we can read about. The first one is this, I am what I do. I am what I do. It's about performance. You see, the devil said to him, turn these stones into bread. Jesus was hungry. Jesus had not done anything supernatural for 30 years. Surely it's time to perform. Nobody in the world was yet believing in him. Society asks us the same question. What have you achieved? How have you demonstrated your usefulness? What do you do? I don't know about you, I, I look back and you have some of those sort of glory days. One of mine was in the sixth form. When I was in the sixth form, I was sports captain for our house. And um, we had cross country. And uh, I remember running cross country and you used to have to run out the rugby field. I, I come from the countryside. So we then ran all around the streets. We ran through this massive park in Buxted, round the old pillbox, which is, you know, what they used to defend us in the Second World War. And you had to run back again. Well, by the time we got to the end of the rugby field, I was the last person out of the whole sick form that was running. 
By the time I got back, I was the first. Come on. And my younger brother was running. <laughs> I suddenly felt good, you know what I'm saying? Our house won cross-country. I had to collect the trophy in front of the school. Suddenly, my performance said, I'm okay. People looked at your performance and thought, oh, he's done well. Now, I can think, oh, that was just a silly day back then. But actually, I wonder if we're some of us still running for that race now. Is the temptation really, actually, I want to be successful in my family, the church, my job, my relationship? And if we don't necessarily get the success that we need to say, look, I'm performing well, we work harder and faster, or we go inward and get depressed, or we blame others. I don't know, how many of you have seen the film Cool Runnings? I mean, I love that film. It's the film about the Jamaican bobsleigh team. And you don't expect to have a, um, a bobsleigh team from Jamaica. That's part of the whole thing. It's based upon a true story. I'm not quite sure how true it is. But the coach says something great, which I love. He says to them, if you're not good enough before the gold medal, you're not good enough with it. If you're not good enough before the gold medal, you're not good enough with it. And so often, many of us think, well, if I just performed, and if I achieved, and if I got that gold medal, I'd be great. And the coach is saying, well, actually, if your identity is caught up in your performance, then actually it's not what it's all about. What was the second test, the second almost mask that I would say Jesus could have been tempted to wear? I am what I have, possessions. Jesus was shown all that others had. He was then questioned, you don't have this, who are you? The devil was saying, well, look, look, look what everyone else has got. Look, I've got all this. You haven't. Society can often measure our identity on what we own. Who has the most money? Who's got the most beautiful body? Who's got the highest position at work? Who's got the best education? Who goes on the most exotic holidays? Who's got the flashiest car? Who's eaten at the finest restaurants? And so often it becomes about our possessions. And yet do they really satisfy Henry Ford, who was the one who ended up creating the Ford Motor Company, said this, I was happier when I did a mechanic's job than when he ran the Ford Motor Company. Bizarre, isn't it? J.D. Rockefeller, a huge wealthy American, said this, I've had millions, but they've brought me no happiness. I've often thought, well, give me the millions and I'll try and work out. You know what I'm saying? But I'm trying to take the point of the quote, actually, is it really caught up in our possession? If we're really honest, every time we buy something, we're then worried it's going to get scratched. And when it gets scratched or damaged, we then think we've got to replace it. That's a temptation, isn't it? A temptation is to wear the mask of my possessions. Hey, look at me. I'm doing well. I think that was a challenge here. What's the third challenge? I am what others think. Popularity. You see, Satan took Jesus to the top of the temple. The temple was in the middle of Jerusalem. The temple was the main place in the main city of the country. If you were to jump off there and you would get protected, surely someone's going to think, hey, he's pretty special. Wow, I mean, surely you'd get a following if you were to do some miracle like that. Jesus had prior to this been invisible to the world. And now he could suddenly become popular. I think I feel, I, again, I think back to my school. I don't know why I've gone so many school examples this morning. When I was at primary school, um, I was um, 
My nickname, <coughs> by the teachers, not by my classmates, was actually Class Clown. Um, I, I, I feel I was just misunderstood at the time. You know what I'm saying? I, nowadays, we'd probably label it that he had ADH or something like that. But at the time, they didn't understand it, and they just nicknamed me Class Clown. I remember I used to have to stand in the corner. You don't get away doing this now. And I used to have to put my hands on my head because, you know, misbehaving. And, and whilst the teacher was doing something, I used to fiddle with my trousers and make them all move. And then the class would laugh. And then, you know, I'd stand. And it was almost like if I could make them laugh, I'd get away with it. It's almost if I could be popular, then surely that was the mask that I'd like to wear. I wonder how many of us think, oh, that's just for teenagers. But in truth, that's a mask that we wear. Actually, the way we behave is because of what friends or family might think. It's what colleagues might notice. Or if we're really honest, and I hate to admit it, it's even what strangers think about us. You know, sometimes I think, golly, you know, you're walking down a town, you think, oh, you've got to behave in a certain way because I don't want anyone to think I'm odd. I don't even know anyone anyway. I could do whatever I fancy. But no, I don't want to do that because some stranger might think I'm odd. You know what I'm saying? I can wear this mask. I can remain trapped, living, concerned about what other people think. How do I look? How am I doing? How important am I? Now, I know, and I want to be really honest here, I'm talking about the I generation. And we've been doing this series on that and the whole thing of technology. And I do think technology has made it worse. I would like to say that I think this problem is as old as Adam to Ching. So we'll go right back to Genesis. I don't think this is a new issue. If you've got a Bible there, you could look in Genesis 3, verse 1 to 5. It says, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? You must not eat from the tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. (laughs) You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Yeah, I believe that we were made... Uh, this, sorry, Adam and Eve were made, created by God, that life was perfect. The Bible tells us they were naked, they knew no shame. There was no guilt. They were able to walk with God. Everything they needed was in the garden, no sweat. That's what it was all about. And then what happened? Was it a mistaken identity in the garden? I mean, that's something that happens, isn't it? You've ever had that kind of embarrassing thing? You mistake an identity. I've done that a few times. It can be quite embarrassing. I remember when I was at university, I thought I recognized the girl. You know what I'm saying? So I jump along the library like this. I pull out the book and go, Bo! I realized it wasn't her after all. Mistaken identity. It can be quite embarrassing, can't it? I don't know why I do these kind of things. I was at a church leaders conference. How embarrassing is this? And I thought I recognized the guy. So rather than go up and tap him on the back and go, hi, nice to see you, I tried to pull his trousers down. (laughs) When he turned around, I realized it wasn't the guy that I thought it was. I thought, why do I just say hello? Mistaken identity can get us into all sorts of trouble. Was it mistaken identity in the garden? I don't think it was. Was it stolen identity? I found it fascinating. When I used to live in Ryslip, they talked about people having their identities stolen. 
And that at the time when you put your rubbish out for recycling, people would literally nick your address, your name and your address and your details. And what they'd try and do then is steal your identity. You might have even seen there was a lady this week that tried to steal somebody's identity so she could keep a baby. I don't think that the Garden of Eden was about mistaken identity or stolen identity. I think what had happened is the devil tried to give a false identity. He came and challenged their identity and tried to get them to take on a false identity. And what this meant is that it affected their relationship with themselves, they affected their relationship with each other, it affected their relationship in a community, it affected their relationship to work and environment, it affected their relationship to God. The devil came and, and managed to get them to take on this false identity. Human beings have been loved, have been created to, to know love, to feel accepted and to feel adequate. They had all of that in the garden. But they had this Identity spoiled by sin. What I find fascinating, even the temptation that I was talking about of Jesus, what happened before that? Well, if you know your Bible, you know in Matthew, before Jesus was baptized, Matthew chapter 3, it says as soon as Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So before his identity was questioned by the devil, God had said over Jesus, I love him. I mean, I love that story. It's almost like... Jesus was being obedient to the Father. He gets baptized, and it's almost like God can't help but scream out from heaven, I love that boy! <laughs> Oops, oh God, I've gone public. What, how am I going to cover this one? I'll send a dove. You know? I'm not sure it's quite like that, but you, know, you feel that kind of emotion or that kind of passion. Jesus had not done anything at this point. He'd been a carpenter for 30 years. Where was his identity? It wasn't on what he was doing. Jesus hadn't taught anything. It wasn't on him being popular. We're not, you know, he's not recorded what he had, but his identity was given to him by God. Josh McDowell, who's an author again in the States, says this, self-worth is a conviction that you have fundamental value because you're created in God's image because Jesus died and because Jesus died for your sins. That's what we can know. So when I talk about identity as Christians, I would love you to know that your identity is not what you do, it's not how popular you are, it's not how you perform. Your identity has got something to do with what God says about you. This will radically change everything. I haven't got time to go through it, but with Jesus, we see that even his family thought he was mad at one time, but he thought, I know my identity in Christ. We know that his hometown wanted to chuck him off a cliff. That doesn't sound like they thought he had a great identity, but he knew that he was called by God. His own disciples wanted him to become this political saviour. You know what I'm saying? Kill the Romans, set us free. But he knew his identity in God, so he didn't even get um, bombarded by his disciples. The religious leaders thought he was a disruption. Jesus was secure in his identity. And so, you know, nice Christian package this morning. I'd like to give you some tips on how you'd be secure in yours. Go on then, Pete, fire them away. I'm not putting them up here because I don't want you to write them down, so I'm going to say them very quickly. You have to listen very carefully. How do you improve your self-image? Don't label yourself negatively. 
Why do people do that? They always say negative things about themselves. Well, I could say that's not a good thing to do. When you fall, admit it, confess it to God and get it dealt with. Don't let it hang around in your life. Don't compare yourself with others. Focus on God's grace, not on your negative things. Associate with friends who are positive and encouraging. Learn to laugh. Don't take yourself so seriously. Have expectations of others that are realistic. Do what is right and pleasing with God. And you say, Pete, you went too fast. I couldn't write it down. That's why I went fast. Because John Ortberg says this. Listen very carefully. Self-improvement is no more God's plan than self-salvation. And I don't want to come here this morning and say, this is how I could help you improve yourself. It's not about you improving your identity, because it's not about you saving yourself. If you thought you had to save yourself, it's not self-saving. We know the Bible says, doesn't it, that we were created to have a relationship with God. We are created to know him. But the Bible calls it sin, meant there was a fall, there was a gap, there was a separation. We could do nothing about that. And so it says that actually Jesus Christ came and paid the price in our place. He died on the cross for the things we've done wrong, to redeem us. Why? So that we can then be restored to God. We cannot save ourselves. The Bible is not about self-salvation. So then I would like to challenge you this. Is the Bible then about self-improvement? I don't think so. So when we come to identity, identity is not about me taking away one mask and giving you another. That is not what the church is about. That's not what Christian life is about. It's not, oh, swap masks. <laughs> yeah, I don't like the ears on that one either. This one's much brighter, much more your colour. I see you as a bit of a summer. It's not about that at all. The church is not about that. When you become a Christian, you are in Christ. You're a totally changed person. You see, the danger is that we just think, give me another mask. Christianity is another mask. It's not another mask at all. Christianity is understanding that there was nothing we could do, that he died in our place, and that we are now in Christ. I think Paul uses that phrase over 40 times in the New Testament. You are in Christ. You are in Christ. I have a postcard here. Some of you will recognize it. I'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. All these verses about in Christ. And, and I know that I've got some here. In Christ, you are significant. And I, I, I would love to have meditated on every verse. And in which case, this sermon would have lasted about three days. I read a book this week by Brennan Manning. I don't know if you've heard of him, the ragamuffin gospel. Absolutely fantastic. He says that often, no, no, sorry, it was Tim Keller's. There you go, dropped in. I read two books this week. Tim Keller was saying, Encounter with Christ. Most times you don't get full understanding out of Scripture until you've read it for half an hour. And he says if you meditate on a Scripture for one minute, you get something, you think you've mined it, but often the thing you most get out of it is when you've looked at it for half an hour. So I would love us now to look at this for half an hour. Ah, all these mums are going, oh, no, you don't. My son's cooking me dinner today. I know. But that's the principle. You see, in Christ, you'd understand you're significant because of this. Or 1 Corinthians 3.16. 
You are God's temple. God lives in you. Ephesians 2.6, God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in heavenly places. Ephesians 3.12, in him and through him, we may approach God with freedom. You are significant, not because I've given you a mask, but because you're in Christ. You are secure. There are many verses. I mean this, you cannot read the writing from there because there's so many verses on this postcard. That's the challenge. It's out of the Bible. There is now no condemnation, Romans 8.1, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Being confident of this, he who began a good work in me will carry it until the day of completion, Philippians 1. Colossians 3, for you died. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. 1 John 5, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm him. Where's my security? It's not a mask, it's because I'm in Christ. I'm not asking you to put on a mask. I'm asking you to understand the Bible says if you're a Christian, you're in Christ. This is your identity. You are accepted. Sorry, Josh, flick through. I've got John 1, Philippians 3, Ephesians 1, Colossians 1. I want to conclude. We are going to pray. It says in Ephesians 2.10, I'm not sure I've got this one on there. You are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good work, which God prepared in advance for us to do. If I wanted you to take one verse, I'd want you to take that one. Ephesians 2.10. You are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Can I just say this? You are not God's appliance. You're God's masterpiece. Appliances are mass-produced, masterpieces are one-off that are lovingly made. That's what you are. The danger is we can look around and think, oh, I just must be one of God's appliances. Look, this, this place is full of them. No, you're God's masterpiece. John Altberg says the way you live inevitably will be a reflection of the way that you think because you understand something of the gospel. Now, you might say, Pete, I want one of these postcards. This is part of freedom in Christ. And we're going to be running the Freedom in Christ course. If you want to come on it, it's going to be every Wednesday night. We're actually going to stop our community groups. We're going to stop it for three months. May, June, July, we'll be doing this. It's going to be a tenner to do the course. If you want to sign up, Hanson, John Jackson, will take your money today. Best 10 quid you'll invest all year. It'll be really helpful to know because you get two books on the course. You get some postcards. Um, it'll be helpful to know. But what I really want is I want to go back to this. What is your mask? If I said the word identity to you, what is your mask? Because I, I genuinely mean this, and I felt this, I was praying through, it's been a, last night going through this. I felt God say this. It's time to rip up masks. And some of us, we've hidden behind masks for far too long. And actually what God wants to say is that I want to take those masks off. I want you to realize what they are. Get rid of them. It's time to realize your identity and who you are in him. Let's not fall for this lie that I could, I could just put something out on the internet that makes me look good. I can fall for this myself. I feel just as challenged as you do. But if we're to really live in this generation, 
I don't want to hurt Elvis. I mean, he's a fan of mine. No, I'm a fan of his. The mask has got to go. The mask has got to go. If you're really honest, how many of us think, Pete, I'd probably hidden behind a mask? I feel that God likes to take some masks off today. He wants to take some of that thinking off. Don't hide behind it anymore. You think when you start, Pete, you went through that list of people with a poor self-image, I think you would describe, have you looked inside my head? God says, I want to take some masks off. I'm not going to put another mask on. I want you to understand who you are in Christ. Why don't we just listen to the Holy Spirit? I'm not going to embarrass you, calling you out, but if you think, actually, I'm aware I've worn a mask, I'm going to ask you to stand. (laughs) You might think, oh, there's no way I'm doing that. That's another mask. No, come on, stand before God. Why don't you stand right now where you are and say, look, no, no, it's enough. I I don't want to live like this. I don't want to get caught up in my performance and my popularity in my possessions. I want to come and recognize who I am in God. I want to be set free from always having to impress. I want to be set free from always thinking who's looking at me, what are they thinking, what are they saying. I want to be secure in knowing who I am, that I might know God. Father, I pray for everyone who stood. Father, we want to stand alongside them. Oh God, we're not judging them, we're loving them. God, we pray this would be a day of setting free. Lord, in the prayer meeting, people didn't know what I was speaking about, but someone literally prayed over, this would be a day of setting people free. And so, Father, I ask for that right now. I pray that you rip the mask up so they can't put it back on. I pray they think, oh, it's gone for good. Even publicly standing, think, right, it's gone, it's changed. I pray they'll understand right in their heart who they are in Jesus Christ. We want to bless them now in Jesus' name. For those that stood, you guys can get a postcard. I will have some of those next Sunday. The rest of you have got to pay a tenner and get one off the freedom in Christ. I shall leave that up to you. Let's all stand and we're going to respond as we worship together.